If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them, and you can turn to Luke chapter 24. Um, we believe, along with most of the world, that a man named Jesus really did live 2,000 years ago in Nazareth and the surrounding area, and that he was... Uh, that he was put to death on a Roman cross. There's little debate about that. Uh, we as Christians believe more than that. We believe that not only did he die, but that three days later he rose again. We look at the evidence of uh, the New Testament that is always referring to eyewitnesses by name who were still alive and uh, the evidence of the disciples who knew Jesus well and were willing to die for him. Uh, we look at the evidence of the uh, the inability of the authorities to produce a body, and we believe that, that Jesus really did rise from the dead, and we, that's the central story of our faith, and we celebrate that every year on a Sunday that we call Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. Now, that's the central story of our faith, and so that's the most well-known story from that day. But there's another uh, story that is less well-known but still significant that took place later that same day. It's the story of the greatest Bible study ever. And so in Luke chapter 24, uh, Luke records the, the story of the disciples finding the empty tomb, and then he immediately proceeds to this story, uh, which we're going to look at today. So let me read it to you. Uh, Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. It says, That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking and everything, talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here in the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of, of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and that they, they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran, to, ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. We are, uh, this is week 10 of our text message sermon series, and it's the last uh, kind of normal sermon. Next week we're going to do uh, questions and answers. So we're kind of approaching the end of a long journey here. We've set aside this big chunk of time for this series to do something different from what we normally do. Uh, normally in our preaching, we come, up to the, we come up here on Sunday and we will unpack a piece of scripture for you and, and sort of apply that to Christian belief and Christian life. And that's good and that's kind of what preaching is. During this series, we've done something different. We've kind of taken a step back and said, well, how do you 
unpack scripture? What does it mean to unpack scripture and uh, interpret it and apply it to your life? And how can, how can you do that? One of our goals as a church is to encounter God, and, and we believe one of the places we encounter God is in his written word, and, and so we want that to be something that happens not just on Sundays, but uh, in your homes throughout your week. Another one of our goals as a church is to equip God's people, and so we want you to be equipped to, uh, to dig into God's word, rather than it just being something that those of us who work at the church know how to do. And so we've taken this time and kind of set it aside, it's kind of the old give a man a fish versus teach a man to fish, right? And so we're teaching you to, to go into scripture yourself during this series. And so we've worked through a bunch of stuff. We've worked through, uh, can we believe the Bible? And what do we believe about the Bible? And how do you interpret the Bible? Today, as we draw to the end of the series, we're going to ask potentially the most important question, which is how did Jesus teach his followers to read scripture? How did Jesus teach his followers to read scripture? And our text uh, for today in Luke chapter 4 is perhaps the most striking example we have. Just a couple of reminders. If you do want to dig deeper, uh, you can always join a care group, which is a midweek group uh, that meets in people's homes, and they're following along with this series. We also have another group called Team 412, which, uh, which is an email-based uh, equipping group, and so you get a, a study emailed to you every week, and we hook you up with a coach a mentor who will uh, track along with you and develop a relationship with you. You can sign up for either of those things at the Welcome Center or on the website. We do also have a phone number that you can send your questions into. Like I said, next week, uh, it's just going to be all questions and answers. And so we've got, we've got a bank of them, and it's going to be good. So with all that in mind, here we are in Luke chapter 24. We're on the road to Emmaus. These two disciples are talking to each other, and they're trying to figure out what just happened. They don't know this, but they're living through the weekend that, that is going to shape all of human history. They don't know the extent of it, but they do know that this has probably been the, the craziest weekend of their lives. That on, on Friday, they watched their rabbi, who they've been following for a number of years, they watched him be put to death uh, violently by an angry mob, and, and then... They, they waited, and now it's Sunday, and they just heard just this morning, two of, like a, a few of their female friends came and said that we were at the tomb, it was empty, there were angels, he's alive, and then they ran to the tomb, and they found that it was empty. They're trying, like, I have to imagine they're a little bit untethered. They're tr they're, it says they're talking intently, they're trying to figure out what's going on, they're trying to figure this stuff out. Jesus appears to them. And it says in, uh, in verse 16, God kept them from recognizing him. We don't know what the mechanics of that, you know, was. We don't know how God did that. But God kept them from recognizing him. And so they're having this conversation with who, a man they think is a stranger, um, but it's actually Jesus. And they say, we're struggling with this stuff. We don't get it. We can't, we can't make sense of it. We, we, we kind of had, we kind of had this inkling that he was the promised Messiah, but but he's, he died, and now he maybe rose again. And Jesus actually gets impatient with them, right? He says, verses 25 to 27, I'll read it again. Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before 
entering his glory. Jesus actually gets impatient with them, and he's saying, "You, you guys wouldn't be so confused if you just read your Bible right. Like, you guys should actually know this. You have the Bible, he says. Uh, he says, and then comes the best Bible study ever. Um, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I have to think that that was the best Bible study ever. Jesus himself working through the scriptures and saying, see this, see this, see this? this it was all about me all along. Now, of course... When Luke says the scriptures, he is actually talking about the Old Testament. And that's what's interesting about this story. Because at that moment, on Resurrection Sunday, none of the New Testament, you know, the part of the Bible that talks explicitly about Jesus, none of that had been written at that time. So Jesus takes them through the Old Testament. It actually says the writings of Moses and all the prophets. And he unpacks for them how that all was about Jesus. It was all pointing to him. That's significant because, of course, as we've already mentioned, Christians struggle with the Old Testament. The New Testament makes sense because it talks about Jesus. The Old Testament, it's written, it was completed 450 years before Jesus. It doesn't mention him by name. How is the Old Testament about Jesus? But that's, but that's what he's claiming here. He's claiming that the Old Testament was all about him. Moses and the, and the prophets was all about him. And so that's the big idea that we're going to start with today. If you take nothing else from today, the big idea is the whole Bible is one story about the person and work of Jesus. That's where Jesus is going here when he takes them through the Bible and explains that it's about him. Now, this is Resurrection Sunday, so Jesus is late in his ministry, uh, it's, we're drawing near to the end of the story of his ministry. What you'll find, though, is if you trace back through the story of his ministry, you find that this is not the first time this idea has come up. It's actually been present throughout his public ministry. You can go way back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, which says, uh, where Jesus says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Or, or other translations say, I came to fulfill them. And that idea of fulfillment is, is present all through the ministry of Jesus, that either Jesus or the narrator will frequently say, this happened to fulfill what Isaiah wrote. This happened to fulfill what the psalmist wrote, uh, and on and on. So the big idea, again, is that the whole Bible is one story about the person and work of Jesus. Jesus says it here on the road to Emmaus. He's been saying it throughout his ministry. Now, that's easy to say. The problem is, sometimes you read the Bible, and it really doesn't seem to be on the surface about Jesus. especially the Old Testament. You read parts of the Bible and you're like, how is Proverbs about Jesus? How is Ecclesiastes about Jesus? How is the story of Jonah or the story of Abraham or Samson? How is that about Jesus? We're centuries before Jesus. It doesn't mention Jesus. How can that story be about Jesus? And so what we want to do today, if we take seriously what Jesus seems to be teaching, that the whole Bible is one story about him, then we, we need a different way of reading the Bible, don't we? 
And so we want to spend some time today doing for you what, what Jesus did on the road to Emmaus. We want to give you the tools to read the Bible and look for Jesus. We want to help you develop an instinct for seeing Jesus in the Bible. Uh, to borrow a highly questionable pun from a family member of mine, we want to give you sunglasses, S-O-N. Terrible, terrible. Now, the, now, of course, we don't have Jesus' words from the road to Emmaus. Okay, that's not recorded what he said to them. But what we can do is we can go through Scripture and piece together the ways that Scripture uh, talks about, Scriptures talk about other Scriptures and how they relate to Jesus. And so, um, and so that's kind of what we're going to do today. Brian Chappelle, who wrote a great, um, a great book called Christ-Centered Preaching, has done some good work in this area. And, uh, and he wrote an article where he has a list of the ways that a, different, that a particular scripture can be about Jesus. So I'm going sh- to show you this. So, uh, so this is from Brian Chappelle. Um, a scripture can prepare, uh, predict, prepare for, reflect, or result from the person and work of Jesus. Let me show you what I mean by those. Uh, so... First, a scripture can predict the person and work of Jesus. That's actually where, where Jesus goes in, in, on the road to Emmaus, right? He says, wasn't, verse 26, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer? It was clearly predicted. Now, if, now, if you are familiar with the Old Testament, you might know that the Old Testament is full of predictions that Jesus would come and predictions about the details of his life. I'll give you two examples. The earliest uh, in your Bible, this is page 5 of my Bible. It's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Adam and Eve have just sinned. Uh, sin has entered the world and, and God has to kick them out of the Garden of Eden. And he curses the serpent, the tempter. And as part of the curse, he says this. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Who's the offspring? And so from early on in the Bible, we have have this prediction that someone would come who's a descendant of, of, uh, of Eve... So he's a human being, a man, would come and, and that Satan would strike his heel. That's going to be the cross. But that he'll strike your head, that he'll crush the head of the serpent, that he will, even in this dark moment, there's this promise that a, a savior will come and will defeat the serpent who thinks he's won. So that's a prediction of Jesus. That's actually called uh, by scholars the Proto-Evangelion, which means the first gospel. And then, of course, we get to the, we continue on through the Old Testament, and um, as Jeff mentioned, it's getting dangerously close to Christmas time, and this stuff surfaces at Christmas time, right? So we get, um, we get this, uh, among many others, we get this text from, from Isaiah chapter 9. It says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. So here we're about 800 years before Jesus, and we get this prediction that a child will come who is, who is um, divine, but he's also a king, and he's also a savior. Isaiah's predicting the coming of Jesus. And so scriptures can, can predict the person and work of Jesus, and, and we won't dwell on this too much. We're actually, during our Advent uh, season this year, we're going to preach through the predictions leading up to Jesus' birth, and so the, the series will be called Long Story, uh, and we'll go through those during the Advent season. Secondly, uh, scripture can prepare for the person and work of Jesus. If you read the book of Leviticus, you will find there's a lot of stuff about animal sacrifice. There are, you know, the, the livestock are just, there's a lot of livestock being sacrificed. They're being burnt as burnt offerings. They're doing things, they're, you know, spattering their blood on the altar and stuff. It's, uh, you, don't read it while you're eating lunch. Watch what happens. So Leviticus 17, verse 11 says, For the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. So in Leviticus, maybe 1,500 years before Jesus, we've got this idea that, that there's a sacrifice and there's blood that's shed and that it cleanses God's people, it purifies God's people from their sins and makes them right with the Lord. Then we come to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, which says this. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So it's based, that verse is very similar, right? We're, we're centuries later, but it's very similar, this idea that there's shedding of blood and it leads to forgiveness of God's people's sins. And if you read Hebrews, what it's doing there is saying, uh, way back in Leviticus, they, they sacrificed goat after goat, ram after ram, lamb after lamb. Uh, they, they had this sacrificial system that kept going. But now we have Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross, and he was our once-for-all sacrifice, and his, uh, his blood purifies us for our, from our sins like the blood of the, of the animals in Leviticus. So the big idea is Leviticus was preparing God's people to understand Jesus. You read Leviticus and it doesn't feel like it's about Jesus, but it was preparing for Jesus. We understand Jesus better now because they went through that then. So scripture can predict the person and work of Jesus, prepare for the person and work of Jesus. Uh, Third, it can reflect the person and work of Jesus. A scripture can reflect the person and work of Jesus. And so um, we have this story that, that human beings need, sinned and needed a Savior, and God loved us so much that he sent a Savior to die for us uh, to save us from our sins. There are portions of scripture that simply reflect uh, either 
the fallenness of human beings and how we're broken and how we need a savior or reflect that God loves us and cares for us and desires to save us and that's what led him to send the savior. So if you read the book of Judges, it's the first one. If you read the book of Judges, it's chaos. There's just, it's just bad thing after bad thing that happens uh, in the nation of Israel, people doing horrible things to one, an, one another, and there's this, this refrain that, that the author keeps saying, in those days there was no king uh, in Israel, and everyone did as he or she wanted. And so it's a, that whole book is a picture of a lawless people, a fallen people who need a savior. They need a king and not just, not just a human king, but they need the king who would save them from sin itself. So Judges is pointing to Jesus. Judges is reflecting our fallenness and our need for a savior. And then if you read on the other side, if you read Hosea, Hosea is a story where God tells um, the prophet Hosea to marry a woman who is unfaithful to him and to keep pursuing her even as she's unfaithful. And he says, Hosea, do this as a picture of my love for my people. He says, do this because that's going to show the people an image of my love for my people. And so Hosea is reflecting the character of God. It's reflecting who God is and it's reflecting his love his persistent, unconditional love that led him to send Jesus. And so a scripture can reflect the person and work of Jesus. And then finally, a scripture can result from the person and work of Jesus. Uh, and this is, the, uh, this is most of the New Testament. A scripture can result from the person and work of Jesus. Do we have a slide? Um, so most of the New Testament will fall into this category that it results from the person and work of Jesus and that makes sense because it was written after Jesus lived and died now I'll give you some grammar I'll give you some grammar and then I'll explain it okay uh, so imperatives and indicatives um, yeah so when we talk about a scripture resulting from Jesus, what we're saying is the imperatives result from the indicatives, which means what I must do results from what God has done through Jesus. What I must do results from what God has done through Jesus. And so this comes into play when we have commands in the New Testament. Um, there are many commands in the New Testament that we have every reason to believe are binding on us today. Husbands, this is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. I should actually look it up. Husbands, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. So we have an imperative. Husbands, love your wives. What does that have to do with the person work of Jesus? Well, it says right there, it follows from it just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. And so we're actually living now in response to what Jesus has done for us. So a uh, uh, scripture can, um, can predict, prepare for, reflect, or result from the person and work of Jesus. 
those are, those are some ways that a scripture can be about Jesus. Let me, let me give you a couple of practical tips for, uh, for reading the Bible and looking for Jesus. Number one, practical tip number one, is use cross-references. Now, sunglasses was pun intended. This is not pun intended. Cross-references is not like cross. That's no pun intended. But use your cross-references in your Bible. Caleb talked about cross-references uh, in his sermon a few weeks ago. It's, it's a little super, superscript letter in your Bible that will refer you to other verses. So what, what, what it does is it says this thing that we're talking about in this verse, uh, this verse also talks about it, and this verse, and this verse. That can go a long way when you're reading your Bible. That can go a long way towards seeing Jesus. So, for instance, if you're reading that Leviticus verse about the sacrifice and about the blood for purification of sins, your Bible probably has a cross-reference that'll take you to the Hebrews passage so that you can piece this together for yourself. It's got a cross-reference that'll say, this also comes up in Hebrews, and it's about Jesus. So I encourage you to do that. And then secondly, read in redemptive context. So we've talked before about the big story of, of history, the big story of the Bible being creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Uh, four chapters, we preached on that back in April. Um, when you're reading a particular scripture, where are you on that timeline? That matters. If you ask that question, that's going to help you connect to Jesus. So we want to read the Bible as one story about the person and work of Jesus. Hope that's helpful in, in giving you a start at doing that. Um, Sally Lloyd-Jones, in her, in her intro to the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is actually a phenomenal theological piece of theological writing, um, in the intro she says this, Now some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one, ones he loves. It's like the most beautiful, the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in the puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. Last thing. Let's, let's go back to the road to Emmaus and finish our story. It says, by this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, 
but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. At that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. They say to each other, having, having read scripture and seen Jesus in it, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And that's the goal. The goal is that you would encounter God, that you would encounter Jesus in the Bible, and that it would not just be something that, that is uh, cognitive, it would be something that actually changes your heart, something that moves your heart, something that changes your affections and your emotions and your values and the, the story that you're telling yourself about your life, that it would actually shift when we see Jesus in the Bible. We've talked a lot about textual criticism and exegesis and hermeneutics, and that's really important because we want to be faithful readers of Scripture. But it's not the goal. In the end, we want to encounter God in a way that does something to our hearts. I, um, my undergrad degree is in English, and my favorite prof was my, my Milton prof. Uh, John Milton wrote Paradise Lost, which is about, it, it's a story about the, the Garden of Eden, or it's an epic poem of the Garden of Eden story uh, about 500 years ago. Milton was a Christian guy, heavily influenced by Christian theology, biblical allusions. And so my prof, amazing prof, and he's got a PhD in Milton. Um, this guy's a glutton for punishment. He's got a PhD in Milton. Now, because of that, he knows the Bible better than most of us today. He does. But what struck me as sad when I, when I sat in his classroom, great prof, bright guy, not a believer, spent, uh, had spent countless hours learning about the Bible. But it was always with this kind of arm's length, uh, brain only, this is just a document. What a shame. What a shame to miss out on, miss, miss out on encountering Jesus uh, in a way that causes your heart to burn within you uh, as you see him in scripture. You know, Jesus actually um, had some comments about people like that. Right, he, said to the, he said to the Jewish religious leaders in John chapter 5, verse 39, he says, You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. And so all that we've talked about in this series is not an end in itself. All that we've talked about in this series is so that you can see Jesus here, so that you can know him more deeply, and so that you can come to him and receive life. So what is your heart 
doing this? What's the state of your heart right now? Are you, does your heart burn within you toward Jesus? And if not, is it time to encounter Jesus in Scripture, in all of Scripture? Not at an arm's length, but to let it penetrate your heart and let it change you. Scripture is about Jesus. The, the whole Bible is one story about the person and work of Jesus. And it is meant to lead us into relationship uh, with Jesus. It's meant to lead us to a transformed heart. May that be so in our lives. Amen.